In our Restore 2022, we are in the book of 2 Corinthians. If you remember when I preached about 1 Corinthians, the first letter uh, three or four weeks ago, I talked a little bit about the setup of Corinth. So, it was a, quite an affluent city, um, just bang on in the middle where the, all the merchants um, trade was going on and uh, it was very well accessed and very well resourced and in the same time in great and desperate need for the gospel of the kingdom of God to, 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 to break through. So um, Paul, as we know from Acts um, 18, um, has spent enough time in Corinth he knows the congregation inside out. He knows all the tensions. He knows all the challenges that are there. And also he's in good contact with people who kind of come back and they bring him reports of how things are. So, so he's not just planted the church and left and done another thing. He's continued with that interest. Um, as you've known from the videos, I know we've got only two letters that are written to the Corinthian congregation. Um, but as we know, this congregation was problematic. And the, there are several letters that have been written, and Paul would kind of mark them that actually in my previous letter, um, I wrote this, and we haven't got access to that. I mean, God's Spirit... Um, guided those people who, who decided for the canon of the Bible to include only what we call the first and the second Corinthians. But second Corinthians is not the second letter that the Corinthians have got. It's our second letter that we've got in our own Bibles. Uh, because what has happened is that um, Paul has planted the church, he's moved on, he's heard reports about the problems that we talked a little bit previously with 1 Corinthians about division and immorality and the way that they're handling the Lord's Supper and the way that they're behaving towards one another. And, and then he's also um, talking or addressing some of the opposition that he's facing from within the congregation in Corinth. There's a certain group who's setting the whole church against Paul. So what's happening here is that Paul has addressed those issues. The Corinthians have responded not so well. So Paul had to go and do this painful visit, he calls it. And he goes and he, he, he sorts them out and then he comes back. And now in this letter, there is this kind of acknowledgement that actually they have responded well to Paul's visit, although it was excruciating, although it was painful. So basically, 2 Corinthians is divided in three parts. The first seven chapters, Paul is addressing the Corinthians. Um, well, he's affirming and, and blessing them for the way that they've responded to Paul. Chapter, verses, uh, chapter 8 and 9, he's going to remind them of this pledge that they have made for the church in Jerusalem. And from chapter 10 till the end of the letter, 
Paul is going to address that particular group of people who are actually um, they're against Paul and he's trying to give them another opportunity for them to reconcile, another opportunity for them to experience um, forgiveness and God's love. But in the, in the same time, he's going to share why he is an apostle. I mean, we all know how Paul came to know the resurrected Christ. He wanted to go and kill people who had come to faith in Jesus. He wanted to go and kill them in the name of the religion, in the name of his passion that he had for God, in the name of his conviction. And the resurrected Christ appears on his road to Damascus. And Paul's life is turned around. And not only that, the irony is that God calls him to be the bearer, calls him to be the bringer, the person who brings this good news to this to non non Jews, to people who had no connection with the Old Testament. So, in one sense, Corinthians is is Paul's baby because it's fulfilling his ministry. It's affirming who he is and what he's doing. And therefore, he is very passionate that they continue to stay on track with what God has called them to be at church, the church that God wants them to be. The challenge that Paul has got in 2 Corinthians is this so-called super-apostles. Remember, Corinth was a place of very well-to-do, very developed. Um, as we said previously, it was not only financially, but academically, it was very well-to-do. Uh, socially, it was very well-to-do. And therefore, to have an apostle, a minister of the gospel, who is actually living out the values, the upside values of the kingdom of God, By being poor, by being afflicted, prone to being beaten up and persecuted and, and being in trouble because he has shared the gospel, in being prone to actually getting in trouble because he's serving different communities, this is not the way that super apostles function. They come with a grandeur of riches and wealth and eloquence and philosophy and um, academic status. And they are going to try to convince the Corinthians that what you've got in Paul is absolutely not suitable for the culture that we're living in. And Paul has to really bring to the Corinthians that reminder of who he is, what God has called him to be, and why is he dealing with the Corinthians. So today we're going to be thinking a little bit about a particular thing that is very close to Paul's heart. 
And it's, it's the hallmark, it's the mark of discipleship. And that's generosity. That's giving. That's giving actually financially. And again, Paul in other parts of the book and elsewhere, he has tried to communicate to them that he has done his best not to be a financial burden in his ministry to the believers. That's why he did tent making. So he would sew up tents in order that he was not becoming a burden to the believers there. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And I'm going to pray and then share two or three thoughts on that and leave you with it. And then what we're going to do is then the children are going to come in with the young people and we're going to share together in the Lord's table. So chapters 8 and 9, Paul is trying to remind the Corinthians about this pledge that they've, they've committed to for the church in Jerusalem. And he wants to remind them in this manner. I really don't need to write to you about this ministry of giving for the believers in Jerusalem. For I know how eager you are to help. I've been boasting to the churches in Macedonia that you in Greece were ready to send an offering a year ago. In fact, it was your enthusiasm that stirred up many of the Macedonian believers to begin giving. I am sending these brothers to be sure you really are ready, as I've been telling them that your money is all collected. I don't want to be wrong in my boasting about you. We would be embarrassed, not to mention your own embarrassments, if some Macedonian believers came with me and found that you weren't ready after all I had told them. So I thought I should send you these brothers ahead of me to make sure that the gift that you promised is ready. But I want it to be a willing gift, not one given grudgingly. Remember this? A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will give a generous sorry, will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your own heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As scripture says, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat it, to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. 
And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. And as a result, your ministry, sorry, as a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God. For your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. And they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace God has given you. Thank God for this gift. Two wonderful words. May God's name be blessed through the public reading of his word. And may our hearts be nurtured today. Amen. So, giving. I want to start with two disclaimers. This passage is not about regular giving to the commu- of the community of faith. This passage talks about something, a gift that the believers had committed to do in order to help brothers and sisters um, struggling elsewhere. Also, this passage has been misused, so disclaimer number two, has been dis- misused from many prosperity gospel preachers to demand and ask money from people who probably are not supposed to be giving money, but because they've been pressurized on the misinterpretation of this uh, passage, then they've committed to that, and therefore uh, their lives have been impacted, and therefore their walk with Jesus has been impacted. So I want to throw them here because I am aware that every time the subject of giving comes, it's a very um, uncomfortable issue for um, a lot of us. Now, I have got the privilege of understanding the situation that Paul is facing And one of the things that I'm very grateful to God for is that I have been, and I stand here in front of you, on the back of the generosity of God's people supporting God's work in Albania. Got my friend Dylan visiting us from New Zealand. It was his mum who led me to Christ. Generosity of God's people supporting a Kiwi coming to share the gospel with me to Albania. So I, I totally understand what is going on here. But also what I understand here is that what Paul is trying to address here is that he knows that the congregation in Corinth has committed to something. But also he knows that actually... Giving is part of discipleship. Paul has lived a very generous life from the moment he came to Christ. Now, I'm not here, 
And I, I must confess, because I have not preached and I've not shared with you regularly about giving, I don't think I've done a favor to the church. Because giving is very, very important. When we give to God and his work, when we contribute to the budget, but also when we give to other people's needs. What's going on in Macedonia is, and the way that they've re, uh, responded, is that actually the community in Macedonia is much, much, much more poorer than the community of believers in Corinth. And they still have responded to this calling to contribute, to be a blessing for the churches of the church in Jerusalem. Now, we don't know what was the problem of the church in Jerusalem. Some people say it was a famine. Some people say there was different problems. But what I've got here, I've got a pie chart of um, the, 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 the situation in Greece, and 73% of people in Macedonia were at or below substance. It was only 5%, which was um, aristocracy, 7% was um, modest and successful, and 15% was relatively poor. And on this 73% chart, a part of the pie chart was the church in Macedonia. And they still had responded to the church, the needs of the church in Corinth. Look what Paul says here in verse um, 8. It's, it's about grace. It's grace. That the experience of God's abundant grace being poured into people's lives and the response to that grace by giving to others. And again, uh, verse 9 says, actually, we've got this example in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm going to mention that when we share communion. But what Paul is trying to do in chapter 9 here, he's trying to save the Corinthians from the embarrassment. So before he comes, and before the Macedonians come, he wants to make sure that they are affirmed in what they've pledged to, but also that they're not put on the spot in case they've forgotten this pledge. Look at Paul's pastoral heart. Because he does not want for them to give because they're being put on the spot. He doesn't want them to give because they're emotionally driven by having a poor Macedonian accompany Paul when he visits. and says, oh, poor him. Let's do something. Paul says giving is part of discipleship. And God supplies. God supplies. Because he is the one who provides the seeds and also the bread for the farmer. 
Now, what if the challenge that I have for you today is that what you've got in your bank accounts is not your money, it's God's money. And you've been entrusted with the seeds and the bread. And how are you showing that hallmark of discipleship? Again, this is not a fundraising event. This is the challenge that we have from reading from God's words. We're actually giving is part of our lives. Generosity is part of the experience of God's kingdom. And it needs to be reflected in the life of the believer. So, this was the idea, and again, it has fallen so timely with our first time. I did not plan this, guys, with the first time that we've got this communion. Because actually, the way that we want to do the communion services is that we want to respond to this generosity of God in, in the way that he meets us at the table. Because as Paul reminds us, Although Christ was rich, he became poor for our sake. So you and I can be rich today and sit here. This is the generosity of God's kingdom. Paul is not asking here for amounts. He's not asking here for a, what do you call it, a whipping around? or um, He's not. He's asking here for an attitude of a heart of a disciple. And even that bank account, whether savings or pensions or anything else that you've got, needs to be put to test, and even to say, God, what I've got is yours, is not mine. Help me to be a good steward of what you have entrusted me with. This commitment that the Corinthians have made is something for the poor brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. And Paul is reminding them because A, they need to finish what they've committed and B, he's cheering them on in their discipleship that the mark of disciples is marked by giving. Now, this is not very easy for me to stand and challenge you in this. But I want to give you one task this week. Go back and read 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. And as you read that Corinthians 7, 8 and 9, I've been using it for the last uh, two days. Speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the food from your holy word. Take your truth, plant it deep in us, 
Shape and fashion us in your likeness, that the light of Christ might be seen today in our acts of love and our deeds of faith. Speak, O Lord, and fulfill in us all the purposes for your glory. Teach us, Lord, full obedience, holy reverence, true humility. Test our thoughts and our attitudes in the radiance of your purity. Cause our faith to rise. Cause our eyes to see your majestic love and authority. Words of power that can never fail. Let the truth prevail over unbelief. Speak, O Lord, and renew our minds. Help us grasp the heights of your plans for us. Truths unchanged from the dawn of time that will echo down through eternity. Amen. That's my challenge for myself and for you today.